Today and every day, Planned Parenthood is committed to ensuring that everyone has the information and resources they need to make their own decisions about their bodies, including abortion care. Lawmakers who oppose abortion are attacking Planned Parenthood, which means affordable, high-quality basic health care for more than 2 million people is at stake. The right to control your own body and get the health care everyone needs has been stolen. And now politicians in nearly every state have introduced bills that would block people from getting the sexual and reproductive care they need. Planned Parenthood believes everyone deserves health care. It's a human right. That's why they fight every day to push for common sense policies that protect your right to control your own body and against policies that interfere with decisions between patients and their doctor. Planned Parenthood needs your support now more than ever. With supporters like you, you can help reclaim your rights and protect and expand access to abortion care. Visit PlannedParenthood.org future. That's PlannedParenthood.org future. Here's an HIV pill dilemma for you. Picture the scene. There's a rooftop sunset with fairy lights and you're vibing with friends. You remember you've got to take your HIV pill. Important, yes, but the fun moment is gone. Did you know there's a long-acting treatment option available? So catch the sunset and keep the party going. Visit PillFreeHIV.com today to learn more. Brought to you by Vive Healthcare. Hey, ladies. Hey, girls. Hey, bros. Bros. Uh, sir. <laughs> sir. <laughs> <clears throat> I'm Saeed Jones. And I'm Zach Stafford. And I'm not doing that with y'all today. I'm Sam Sanders, and you're listening to Vibe Check. <laughs> this week on Vibe Check, we're going to talk about the new rom-com, Bros. Didn't do too well at the box office this past weekend, and there are many, many theories. We'll discuss a few of them. And then later, we'll talk about a truly disturbing drama. The more I read into it, the more I'm like, oh, Lord, someone take the wheel. Talking about Herschel Walker. He is running as a Republican for the U.S. Senate in Georgia, and he is in a heap of mess involving one check written for an abortion and a very angry son. We'll unpack it. At least one angry son that we know. <laughs> yeah, of. that we know their name because there that could be other know. angry sons too. Oh, and also, goodness. the theme the theme of this week is if men only went to therapy, we would live in a better world. That is the purpose of today's episode. <laughs> <laughs> wow. I don't know. I mean, you know, things are getting kind of wild out here. <laughs> therapy. <laughs> we might need more not than therapy. <laughs> we need some lobotomies. Let me stop. Oh my god. <laughs> Anywho, before we get into the news, the hot topics, all the things, how are we feeling, my sisters? Zach, you go first. What's up? How's your vibe? I'm good. I feel like, you know, I don't always buy into this idea of Mercury retrograde, but I really felt it. This season, (laughs) it just ended the other day. And the really penultimate moment of my Mercury retrograde was when my Tony finally arrived that was engraved. Because when you win the Tony, it's not engraved. And then it gets engraved. And they misspelled my name. So, you know, really, God (laughs) builds you up and he brings you down in one fell swoop. He's going to keep you humble. You're respectable Caucasian. How do you mess up Stafford? How? Come on, man. So, yeah, that was a really funny moment for me. Maybe the silver lining is you get to keep the Tony with the typo and then you have two and then you can sell one. No, the Tonys, to their credit, 
called me, apologized as it was en route. And now huh. it's already back being oh. re-engraved and it will be back at my home by Wednesday, allegedly. Oh, wow. Okay, I like that they apologized before it even got to you. Yeah. That is the I got least they the heads do. up. Yep. But uh-huh. say, Levy, that's how I'm feeling. Yeah. Said, how are you? I feel good. I don't know. Obviously, we're going to get into the controversies. And I just feel like I'm in this week where I'm like, you know, sometimes it helps to kind of look around and see what other messes people are getting into when you go and look at your life and you go, I'm doing pretty mm-hmm. good. Yep. <laughs> yep. <laughs> I feel like I'm doing just doing fine. Right. Just keep right. swimming. So yeah, my vibe is cute. I'm minding my business. How about you, Sam? Uh, my vibe is twofold. I finally broke down and got a Peloton because now you can rent them. And my cheap ass was like, I can oh. afford that. So it's oh. in the back house right now. Alex, I think, is riding it. That's cute. I like it. We'll see how it goes. I might send it back if I don't like it, but we'll see. So vibing on that. She's finally, two years later, a Peloton girl. Who is your favorite trainer? Are you a Cody Rigsby girl? Sure. Love him. Now, I'm waiting for the Cody scandal because I feel like that. <laughs> no. That no. was Listen. wild. Listen. No. We're Just putting saying. a pin on it. We're calling it. That will happen at one point, And we will <laughs> be here to claim discuss that. it. I don't want to claim that. But my larger vibe, besides the Peloton, which we'll see how it goes, is listening to new Supreme Court Justice Katanji Brown-Jackson share her voice for the first time on the court. This week, there are arguments being heard in a case concerning voting rights. And for the first time ever, we've heard her ask questions of these lawyers there in the Supreme Court room. And an argument that she tore down beautifully and simply in like two minutes was this claim from the right that voting oversight from the government should be applied in a race-blind way because the founders were race-blind and they would have wanted it that way. And there's this audio of her in this soothe and calming voice pointing out. I don't think we can assume that just because race is taken into account that that necessarily creates an equal protection problem because I understood that we looked at the history and traditions of the Constitution at what the framers and the founders thought about. And when I drilled down to that level of analysis, it became clear to me that the framers themselves adopted Uh, the Equal Protection Clause, the 14th Amendment, the 15th Amendment, in a race-conscious way. In two minutes, she totally undoes this conservative lie that we've been fed for decades, Mm. that the founders didn't see race. Of course they saw race. It's interesting, too, because of the makeup of the court right now. This period where they get to ask questions and get to kind of push back, it's kind of, I mean, it's a cold comfort, because unfortunately, when it comes time for the numbers to be counted— you know, she'll probably be outnumbered. But yeah, to hear from Justices Kagan, Sotomayor, yeah. Okay. Well, mm-hmm. And to hear her take something that was seen as a thing that belonged to conservatives, this right. idea of originalism. For her to say, you're not just wrong on it, but originalism can also be a progressive ideal mm-hmm. and work for this side as well. I think it's really big. It's like big for jurisprudence. She is smart in ways that we haven't even seen the last of yet. So mm-hmm. go ahead, Justice Jackson. Well, glad everyone's vibes are doing all right. Uh, before we get into our first topic, though, we want to thank all of you who sent us fan mail, tweeted us, DM'd us. Someone was talking about we should get a Pulitzer. And I was like, I don't 
I don't think Who that's how podcasts that? work. There is a pollster for podcasts now, FYI, but it's for reporting and audio. Not We don't do any reporting here. Not we for tea spilling, tea. not for tea shade leaves. throwing. <laughs> Reading tea leaves is not uh, <laughs> actual reporting. But we did want to give a special shout out to Suzanne, a legal aid attorney and law teacher who sent us a super thoughtful email last week. And, and here's just part of it. Um, in response to our discussion about Brett Favre and the Temporary Aid to Needy Families program, TANF, funds. Suzanne said, quote, I tell my students that impoverished people who rely on these public programs really have to be experts on their own poverty. Ooh, mm. That is just like so much insight. And it says a lot about what they're up against while people like Brett Favre take advantage of them. Uh, Suzanne, thank you for, yeah. first of all, listening, but also kind of bringing this into the classroom and, and talking to your law students. Like, that's awesome. I love it. Yeah, it's yeah, so powerful. Yeah. So we love hearing from y'all so much that we are going to do an Ask Us Anything episode soon. You can send us a voice note or an email at vibecheck at stitcher.com or you can tweet us with the hashtag, hashtag vibecheckpod. Also, before we move on, I want to shout out the reporting that I relied on a lot for that conversation last week. The folks over at Vox have been covering the issue of that scandal extremely well. So thank okay. them for that too. Yeah. All right, shall we get into some bro tea and everything else, everybody? <laughs> let's go. Yes, let's go. Let's go. It's now time to dive into the hottest Twitter topic of the week, which is the release of the Universal Studios film Bros, written and starring the comedian Billy Eichner. So before we get in, we can lay some context to why this is such a big deal today. It's only a big deal due to its own rollout, I would argue. So Billy Eichner, for those who are not familiar, is a very well-known comedian, especially on the internet. He came to fame through his YouTube show that became a TV show called Billy on the Street, where he runs around New York City yelling at people, trying to get them to interview. Celebrities jump into it. I'm sure you've seen it. It was like a loud white gay man walking up to strangers on the street. And every time he walked up to a person of color, they would, we're not having it. no idea what was it. I will say, I found some moments of that whole thing pretty funny. I also loved the Hulu series he did for a while called Difficult People. Difficult People, yeah. Where he leaned even more heavily into being unlikable. It's like my favorite yes. version of Billy Eichner. But go Yes, ahead. and that's and that's kind of the top line there. Is Billy Eichner's famous for being unlikable. So in the past few years, he's been working very deeply on a movie called Bros, which was supposed to be this historic movie that is a rom-com starring him and Luke McFarlane, who is famous for being a heartthrob in Hallmark movies as the romantic lead in those. Usually straight romantic lead, but now they're going to play gay men falling in love. And it's supposed to be an ode to Nora Ephron and other 90s rom-coms where we see two gay men finally fall in love through the romantic obstacles that they face. The movie was billed as a historic first. It's the first time a studio. Major studio. A major said. studio. Thank you. A major studio has put out a movie into theaters directly that has a gay male protagonist falling in love in this way. And it was a $22 million film with tens of millions of dollars of marketing around it. It was literally everywhere. And it got a ton of great reviews, but when it hit the box office this weekend, it flopped. And when we talk about flop, it flop flopped. It came in at $4.8 million in the first weekend, while Rotten Tomatoes gave it a 90%. IMDb has given it a 5.7 out of 10, and a lot of Twitter has come through to get it together. And Billy Eichner is now on the offense trying to fight for this film. And before we jump in, I want to read his latest tweet, because he keeps making news about these tweets. He's still tweeting? He's still tweeting. He wrote... 
quote, box office, as we all know, has absolutely nothing to do with the quality of a movie. In tweeting about a movie you haven't actually seen is meaningless. That's just Twitter bullshit. The majority of people who see bros really love it. Go check it out and see it for yourself. And my note to that is, yeah, if you go and see it, you may like it, but no one in America has seen it. This is the thing, and I'm going to let y'all talk because I have a lot of thoughts I don't want to run through too quickly, but how is that supposed to get anybody who was on the fence about bros into a movie theater? It won't. No. It's a little off-putting. And I think what I found really confusing about the entire rollout of the movie, which is good. I've seen it twice now. And some parts of it are laugh out loud, like hilariously funny. But the whole shtick with this movie and the rollout was you have to go see it out of obligation. And if you don't see it, you're bad. Yeah. Why would you do that for a film that's supposed to be fun? Yeah. It felt like homework. No one wants to do homework. Why are you but the telling thing is, us? It's not at all homework. It's no. not homework. It's an Apatow movie. It's fun. I just, I yeah. don't know why they felt the need to push the film that way. Well, so the thing is, I've thought about, this has happened a few times with one of Spike Lee's movies that was like rooted in history. I think it was like Miracle at Santa Ana, where he would say, you know, you've got to get out and, you know, see this movie. We've got to support Black films. We have to support Black films about Black history, where, you know, you kind of, I think as a passive potential audience member, you know, particularly when a film is about a first or it's connected to identity, at times you can feel like you're kind of being guilt-tripped into going to see it or that it's like a school assignment. But even with those types of movies, you know, go see this movie about, you know, go see Selma. We've got to go support Ava DuVernay. This is really Mm -hmm. important. You know, that rhetoric is not unusual. But the idea of turning a romantic comedy into a school assignment or guilt trip. Like, you can't guilt trip me into seeing a comedy. That's not what anyone wants, no matter the subject, you know? Well, and I am really interested in how the film was marketed, what that says about what the film itself was trying to do. A lot of the critiques of this movie, and even the critiques acknowledge how funny it is. It's, you know, was this film trying to do too much? It was trying to appeal to straight audiences, also trying to appeal to queer audiences, also trying to appeal to fans of the classic rom-com all in one movie. Mm -hmm. And I think my one biggest critique was that this movie could have been even better if it focused a little more narrowly on just a love story. Just a love story. So many moments the film felt like it was needing to speak to all of the discourses. And that's a lot of weight and obligation for any one film to carry. And I honestly feel bad that Billy felt all that pressure. I can tell from the way he's tweeting. I can tell from the way they did this movie that Billy felt a lot of pressure to please a lot of different constituencies. That must not have been fun, you know? And he made a movie that's good in spite of it, but I wonder how much freer he would have felt and how much even better this film could have been if if it was just allowed to be an actual love story and just that. Yeah. Where I was watching it, I watched it with my boyfriend. And when we walked out, we talked a lot about it, obviously. But something I felt myself wanting as someone that loves rom-coms. Like, I love rom-coms. I'm one of those people, Sam, I think you're similar. Where I go to Netflix and just watch a lot of old rom-coms. That I think yes. they're really, they're like, they're like um, you know, junk food to me. I think it's fun. Yeah, I love comforting. a Hallmark movie. It's really comforting. Yeah. This movie, the entire time, felt like a Twitter tweet thread the whole time that with moments so where like when he stopped tweeting and just existed with Luke McFarlane that's when I was like that's what I want I want to mm. just see this fall in love it's kind of like why I loved everything everywhere all at once 
it surprised me that it was a coming out story. It didn't preach right. to me. It just popped up. And I, as I'm watching it, I got to feel it, not be told about it. And rom-coms are so much about feeling. Like when I would go watch When Harry Met Sally, I'm watching these two people who are opposites fall in love no matter all these obstacles in front of them over and over because love is so strong. Billy and Luke felt like they were falling in love because it was like they had to, because that's what they mm. needed the politics of this to be. And it just felt all like too homeworky and assigned to us. And I'm like, girl, when I've seen Brokeback Mountain, to, and we can get into this part as well, like how gay movies do in theaters because they have done better than people but think. That's different. I mean, that was a drama. That's it was a, a drama, exactly. Comedies very much fail all the time. But like when I'm watching other movies about queer people, whether it's Heartstoppers or whatever, you know, like they just kind of like show us a story and tell us. They're not preaching it to us. And this was like a really, really preachy movie that I just don't care to be preached at right now about. Yeah, I mean, gosh, there's so much I want to say. I think queer people have a really sharp sense of what it feels like when you were trying to placate or appease, you know, the parents that would rather you tone it down, the coworkers who are subtly kind of icing you out. You know what I mean? And, and as you've pointed out, it's very clear that— um, Billy, maybe he thought that would be the selling point. Maybe he thought like this this history thing. And but even the history is like an asterisk from a major studio. And I'm like, well, yeah. you're writing off a lot of recent. And actually, you know, there's another yeah. gay romantic comedy hitting theaters like in a couple of weeks. You know what yeah. I mean? There's yeah. there's a lot going on. But he thought that was exciting. But to me, it's hard to root for. It's hard to get excited about that. And also, the real truth is that straight people adore us. They, they want to follow us when it comes to culture. Queer people, mm -hmm. queer black people, we make culture. So I think he appealed to the wrong audience first. He was like appealing to straight white audiences, you know, trying to get them. I'm like, no, 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 you need to appeal to us, get us excited, and then they'll follow along. Yeah. That's why they're all watching Drag Race yes. now. I think that there is a version of this movie where Billy goes full Billy, where he goes full gay, and allows this thing to become an indie sleeper hit right. in a way that could have surprised everybody. Yeah. But in trying to make this a thing that out of the gate almost serviced straight fans more than gay fans, it was just, it was just hard to do <laughs> that. But I also think, serve. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I also think, though, like from a business strategy standpoint, I have major questions about choosing to release any kind of rom-com in October in movie theaters yeah. first. In movie yeah. theaters. That's the larger thing. So over if the last— If it was streaming, I guarantee you it would have been a hit. Yeah. It definitely well, I mean, like, this weekend. If you look at the data about what movies still succeed in movie theaters, you know, we have seen fewer people go to theaters every year for the last decade or more as streaming has become ascendant. And it's gotten so bad that studios are releasing fewer rom-coms than ever. This is from the New York Times. Studios have released 40 rom-coms in theaters over the last decade, about four per year. Compare that to 212 during the 15 years before, 14 per year. Studios know that rom-coms have become a thing of the streaming world. You're most likely to watch a rom-com on streaming, not a theater. So knowing that, why would you push so hard for a studio release for a kind of film that doesn't do well in theaters anymore? And on top of that, not a July or August or June summer rom-com release in theaters, an October release. Yeah. That was going to be hard for any rom-com, let alone the first big-budget gay rom-com. And so I wonder what someone like Billy does next. He wrote a good screenplay. He made a movie that works on several levels. 
if he wants to be a movie star, what kind of movie star should Billy Eichner be? And is the better version of Billy Eichner something brand new and not him trying to place himself into an art form that is increasingly dated? Also, I want to acknowledge, because I feel like weirdly Billy himself has not, the people who made that $4 million possible at all at the box office. There are people who did show up and go to the movie theaters. And and look, I feel like now to go to a movie theater, you're basically spending $30 to $50, you know, once you get the snacks and the parking. If not more. If not more. You know, people did show up. And so the other thing is I think Billy's and his collaborators' response to the disappointing returns is is kind of like disrespectful to the people who did support them. Like I think you say, thank you so much to the people. I hope more people give it a chance. I hope if you enjoy it, you go out there and you tell a friend. You know what I mean? It just feels really dismissive because again, you're so focused on the straight white male father, the patriarch that you are desperate to come kiss you on the forehead or play football with you, that you're not even paying attention to the people who did show up, you know, over the weekend to support you. And I think that just says a lot about his, well, his issues. He needs to work through some stuff. We all do. I I agree he doesn't. That's just like, before this came out, I've never been a huge Billy Eichner fan due to his comedy. His comedy is just not mine. I think he deserves to have a career, all these things. He's just not my cup of tea. But I was willing to go to the theaters on Thursday, pay for it, be there to support this as, you know, a community effort. And when he immediately began tweeting about this being homophobic, that it didn't do well, it just felt like really misplaced and miscalculated that, to your point, Sam, that you're making, that I think is the point to all of this, is that he made this movie for straight people to like him. And I'm sorry, they don't like you and the gay people that were struggling, you didn't make the movie for them to see you in a new light and now you've just lost everybody. And it's like, you gotta pick a lane, you gotta focus on a story that actually means something to you. And what I wanted to see Billy Eichner do is a movie about him like, being him, like this like miserable, like kind of miserable comedian who doesn't even believe in love and just is like wanting to live a life with himself. I would love that rom-com. Billy Eichner's single and finding a way to love himself would watch. But bros, where it's like his fake Harry Met Sally, no, I'm good. And no one asked for that. Or, and I mean, as a, you know, kind of cranky curmudgeon person myself, I think Billy, you know, because he, you know, the abrasive, strident, too smart for his own good kind of persona, I find, frankly, very relatable. Then make a film about someone like that who stumbles and falls into the wonder of love and is who is like, what's going on? I'm I'm getting a text message from this guy and I'm smiling and I used to make fun of people who do it. Like, there's totally a way to, like, embrace that sincerity but i think if you're constantly angling positioning you know i'll meet emerging writers who haven't even finished a chapter of a manuscript and they're worried about book covers and marketing and where they want to do event if you're thinking so far ahead of the game you know what i mean you're you're not going to be able to create those compelling sincere moments and i'm like baby this is about love this is Mm, about love Mm. well and i am perhaps the biggest Eichner fan in this room. I loved Difficult People on Hulu. Mm -hmm. I loved him on the street being crazy. I think he's really funny. And I think the charm of Billy is actually his unlikability. He is so unlikable, you can't help but like him. I hope that whatever his next chapter is, um, that he leans into that. I think he has a sharp voice. I think he's smart. I think he wants to be a star. And I just hope that like he and the whole team behind this film, the next thing that they do, I hope that they can just forget about any and all discourses and just make a story that they're proud of and that feels true to them. Because if it resonates for them truly, it will speak to other queer people. And the rest of them will see us and find it and come to it. But you got to serve yourself and your core first. 
And you got to put down the damn phone. I can't yes, believe. Put, stop tweeting. I, too many discourses. First rule, baby. Put that phone down. Get away from it. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. So that said, though, before we close, are we telling our listeners to go see bros or not? <laughs> no. I'm not. You can't, Sam. Okay, everyone go around and say what they think. Sam, you go first. Should people see bros? So I actually watched it once at home with a pre-online screener and then once in a theater. It's twice as good in the theater. It's a movie that is made for a movie theater that's made for a room of folks that want to laugh together. And it makes the moments of hilarity pop even more. It was a flashback to like, you know, going to see a big rom-com 15 years ago. And that felt fun. So I would say go see it in a theater with your friends. I'm going to say go see it just so you can talk about it. I like when people see things that they can talk about, but don't expect yourself to walk out being obsessed with it. That's my point. I'm going to go see it, I believe, in the laughter and theater, but also I'm afraid that Billy's going to, like, find me. You know yes, what I mean? Yes, that too. B- Billy on the Street used to be right in front of BuzzFeed's office in New York. And really? On, 20 th- on 23rd, right by that Home Depot. And mm-hmm. I used to check, I used to go to lunch at different Why times. Why was there a Home Depot avoid- on 23rd? So Sorry, it's still there. But I used to literally <laughs> change my walking plans and my lunch time because I was like, I do not need this gay man come yell. So go see it, you know, because I, yeah. I, I don't need that energy. Go, go see it so you don't get yelled at. <laughs> I want the Difficult People movie. That's what I want. Difficult People. Because that show was so good. Okay, difficult I support people. that. That's all, what we yeah. can all agree on. Difficult yes. People as a movie. There we go. Yes, yes. <laughs> well, it's time for us to take a quick break, but we'll be right back. So stay tuned for more. Hey there, Zach Stafford, co-host of Vibe Check. And something I heard really early on in my career was this phrase that has never left me. It is, you can't be what you can't see. And for me, that is so true. All of the black people I got to grow up and watch on television, be journalists, and so much more, are the foundation to why I continue to have a media career. And that's the case for so, so many people. And if you're looking for the next generation of influential Black voices in media, you can find all of them on NPR's new collection, Black Stories, Black Truths. In the Black Stories, Black Truths collection, you'll hear stories of joy, resilience, empowerment, and creating world-shifting things out of struggle. Every episode is a living account about what it means to be Black today, told from a unique Black perspective. From Bobby Shmurda to The Wire, Michelle Obama to reparations, there's no limit to the range of Black Stories, Black Truths. Black perspectives haven't always been centered in the telling of America's story. Now they are. In NPR's Black Stories, Black Truths, you'll find a collection of some of NPR's best podcast episodes celebrating the Black experience. It's NPR Noir. Listen now to Black Stories, Black Truths from NPR wherever you get your podcasts. We are back and we're going to change lanes a bit and talk about a different bro named Herschel Walker. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. The ways in which every week we're able to somehow bullshit our way into a connection between things is that really wild. stunning. Wow. Sorry, Sam, you were setting this up. Let us, what are we talking about? Our topic B this week is the saga of one Republican Senate candidate, Herschel Walker, the former University of Georgia football star is running for the U.S. Senate against Raphael Warnock, who is the first Black male senator from Georgia. Uh, The race is kind of close, and Walker has made a name for himself for his gaffes on the stump Mm -hmm. and his really, really conservative take on abortion rights. He supports an abortion ban 
with no exceptions, and he's made that a central plank of his campaign. Flash forward to this week, the Daily Beast reports that that same Herschel Walker reimbursed a woman for an abortion after they conceived in 2009. This Daily Beast article was published on Monday evening, and they even had images of a receipt from the clinic and a sympathy card from Walker that had a check in it. It was the sympathy card that sent me. To get well soon. My goodness. So as soon as this story breaks, Herschel denies it. He goes on Hannity on Fox News to address the check specifically. And he says, quote, I send money to a lot of people. And that's what's so funny. God has blessed me. I want to bless others. I got into this race because I'm a Christian. Gonna pause uh, on that just for a second just. to talk about the next layer of this saga, which is one of Herschel Walker's sons, TikTok conservative firebrand, 23-year-old Christian Walker, went on to spill even more tea about Herschel after this story broke. He begins tweeting this as his father is on Hannity, saying that he gets oh, the money. Oh, it was happening at the same time? It was happening at the same time. And actually, Zach, pick it up, because you know the tweets more than I do. Christian Walker enters the chat. Go ahead. Christian Walker enters the chat as his father is on Hannity, defending himself on this article. According to Christian Walker, to videos he's posted now, what set him off was that his father has been lying about a lot of things during this campaign. Mm-hmm. He knew that his father had other kids, or he's come to find that out, but the promise his father gave him was that he was going to do right by him, he was going to get in front of it, he was going to do right by these kids, because Christian Walker is most famous for dragging celebrities who don't, quote-unquote, take care of their kids, i.e. Nick Cannon or other liberals who have kids and don't take care of them. Yeah, Nick Cannon lives in his head rent-free. Rent-free. Renfrey. Christian Walker was set off by all this because he saw in the Daily Beast reporting the card in question with the check and saw that that was indeed his father's handwriting. And in that moment, he realized all of this was real. According to Christian Walker's videos, he says lots of Republican strategists have been calling him during this entire campaign to say, don't talk about it. Be quiet. Be on his side. He realized that all of this, and these are Christian Walker's words, were lies. And it didn't even matter anymore because if the right was a family values party, then how would they let his father, who has threatened his mother, who has not raised his kids, who has not been a Christian man, become a senator? And now he has to speak out because this goes against what the right stands for. And that is seen. (laughs) And the allegations from Christian, Herschel's son, they're not just, oh, my dad's a philanderer. He says that Herschel threatened he and his mother with violence to the point that Christian and his mom had to move six times Mm -hmm. in six months. And it's as recently as this morning, I saw Christian Walker uploaded at least two videos. Mm -hmm. I mean, going, I mean, they're long. They're very, very long. Here's Here's the thing. Let me come in with a beat. If, if this is your first time hearing the name Christian Walker, I would like to say congratulations and please tell me your secrets. Yes. Because for those of us, for those of us who have spent any time on TikTok, Christian Walker is an incredibly toxic, um, I would say dangerous um, in terms of the way he like celebrates misinformation and kind of like far right ideals. He does this thing where I think he's very good at like being messy and a spectacle where you're almost willing to kind of like not take what he's talking about as seriously because he's so ridiculous. But I think we're in 2022, baby. We know there are a lot of ridiculous, dangerous people we need to look out for. So I do want to acknowledge that this is this is truly like something from the Game of Thrones yes. writer's room. In that there's like a lot of really bad people 
people. But I do want to say, I mean, it's to me, so this is my question to both of you. Knowing that Christian Walker wants to be a star, wants to, you know, have his profile on the rise. He says he wants to be like the new Gen Z face of conservatism. Do you believe that this was a sincere surprise? Or is this like brand management? Is this him going, okay, you like the election's coming up? Ooh. And you know what the real surprise is? My next career move. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? Yeah. What I think is happening, because what I always take refuge in, I'll use that word, with the far right in understanding their logic, mm. is that a lot of them that are anti-abortion access do believe that that is killing someone. That is not correct. That is not factual. But that is a way in which certain religious people do believe it. Like Christian a sincere... Walker, yes, sincere belief that they will go to hell. It's murder. Christian Walker yeah. does identify as a very conservative Christian. So I think there's a world in which he saw that his dad isn't operating under the ways in which he thinks being a Christian is and does see this as a moral and religious crisis. And that he, if he doesn't want to put himself into a faith crisis, he does need to speak up and sees this as his burden to push against his father. Oh my God, he's Alicent Hightower from House of the Dragon. Oh my God, 100%. 100% ah. Alison Hightower for House of Dragons. So that's where, I, that's where I'm like, oh, this is like drama sightseeing because he literally believes the things the right has been spilling and now he sees this as his like, I don't know, Judas moment, whatever, mm-hmm. to like He's fulfill fed. his destiny okay. to be the son that like takes down like the evil dad. That's my thing. Sam, what do you think? You know, it's funny. I was watching more videos of him this morning and just kind of felt sorry for him. And I looked over at my boyfriend and I was like, this is a mess. And he just won't, he's yelling. He's so loud. Mm-hmm. And my partner looked at me and said, he's probably yelling so much now because he's been yelled at his whole life. Yes. And I'm like, yes. I think this child, this young man, I think he's hurting. I think he's hurting. And I think the pain exists on his face, in his scream. Like I just see hurt when I see him. And so what I want most of all for him is just to put the phone down, be quiet for a while and like take care of you. But I think also the larger question for someone like Christian Walker, if he's building himself up to be a new voice on the right, the larger question is, what do you stand for and what are you about? His entire career so far, if we can call it that, has been reactionary. Mm-hmm. Wow. Reacting to Kehlani, having reactions to his dad, reacting to liberals on Twitter or TikTok. Yeah. What is Christian Walker about? Yeah. What does Christian Walker want? What does Christian Walker believe in? Yeah, I don't that's, know yet. That's, that's deeply compassionate. Um, I know usually when I'm about to say that, yeah, no, no, but it is, it is deeply compassionate because I realized, I mean, you know, like you were saying, like someone who's being yelled at their whole, like, do I sympathize with someone like Christian Walker? No, I don't because I feel like his ethics and his behavior are difficult justify. Even when I'm like, okay, you are in a really difficult situation, Mm -hmm. but thinking about something, unfortunately that Christian Walker has in common with his own father, I'm fascinated by the, not even the politics, but the psychology of black conservatives, especially now when the Republican Party is, you know, it's, it's always been toxic. It's always been pretty consistently anti-Black, but we're like in a new era. Mm-hmm. So like to think about, let's like take a step back. For people desperate to feel loved or just to get attention or to get money or to get power, you're a Black person who just feels like, oh, I'm not getting, you know, what I deserve, what I need. I'm not respected in my own home. My father's disregarding me. I think I'm seeing a parallel both between Christian and his father where it's like, well, you know who will give me attention? You know who will give me money and even tell me, maybe I could be a U.S. senator? Republicans. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Des- mm-hmm. White Republicans yeah. desperate to have a black person they can, well, mm-hmm. use. That's really sad. But here's Ooh. the thing. As soon as you're not useful to them, mm-hmm. they will drop yeah. you like a hot potato. That's a good point. But that's Politics like- will never love you. 
No, politics will never love you. You want a friend, get a dog. Don't yes. go into politics. This is like Shakespeare. But I think like what I have to say, and I'm going to say this as a black mixed kid with a white mom who I've, since I've seen Christian Walker come into the public space, I've said to myself, there is a dark, twisted universe in which I became Christian Walker due to like Ooh. my own issues with my own dad and my own family and Ooh. how I thought about race because I do understand the self-hate he's going through. Mm. And that when you hate yourself that much and everyone around you hates you that much, that you believe that to kill yourself or kill the thing that is you will make someone finally love you. And that reality moment, when you see that wow. that's never going to save you, that's never going to be there, is ground-shaking. And that's what Christian is going through today. And it's also, in its own way, what Billy Eichner is going through with this movie, where you look at, to quote Audre Lord, the master's tools will not dismantle the master's house. When you see Oof. these people using these tools that have been used against them, and they say, wait a minute, maybe if I do it this way, it will be okay. I will feel better. That hole will be filled. And it doesn't become filled. It is shocking and it hurts. And that's what he's going through. I so mean, I that's, I mean, damn. Mm. I mean, love mm. is the only pathway to love. Yes. yes. Not power, yeah. not delusion, not money, not, you know, TikTok view. Nothing is going to to feel that that hole is going to address that wound except actual love. And I mean, I, I maybe this is a turning point for Chris. I'm so cynical at this point. I'm like, mm, you're playing yeah. a game. But maybe this is a wake up I just, call, you know, maybe? it's just when I see him, I want to just like, Put him under my wing. Oh, girl, please. Like, I see him and I want to throw a copy of the Blue's I'm Eye at sorry, him. Sorry, baby. I'm wrong. He ain't gonna be a goddamn. I want him to Not find Tony peace. <laughs> I want him to find peace. I want that child to find peace. I truly do. I want him to find peace. But I do want to point out the larger issue I'm seeing here with the Herschel Walker saga in Georgia. He's just one of a handful of really, 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 really crappy GOP candidates for office yeah. this fall. True. The GOP has a problem with their candidates. It's not just Herschel Walker paying for secret abortions. It's Dr. Oz who's trying to make it to the Senate from Pennsylvania. We just found out this week that as a doctor, he supervised medical trials that were responsible for the killing of more than 300 puppies. <gasps> Puppies. Oh, puppies. Yes. Yeah. On top of that, you've got Doug Mastriano. He's trying to be the governor in Pennsylvania. He literally chartered buses to the January 6th insurrection. And part of his platform is threatening to ban pole dancing in public schools. That doesn't happen, my dude. Like, he's that far off. You know, and even besides him, you got Marjorie Taylor Greene wrapped up in mess as well. There are any number of bad GOP candidates who were only still in the running because they support Donald Trump and they still say that the last election was stolen. There is a major candidate problem on the right. Herschel is just the tip of that iceberg. It makes me think of another struggling white institution, Broadway, um, in that... <laughs> A lot of, the connective of, tissue in today's episode oh is doing so much work. Well, Go ahead. In a way Go that ahead. a lot of Broadway shows resort to stunt casting, right? Mm -hmm. They 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 will cast a famous celebrity who's not well known for the stage or singing and everything in a role just because they know people will come out and see a big name celebrity. Meanwhile, they're you know swing your arm and you can hit a qualified Broadway mm -hmm. actor or performer in New York just waiting for that role. And it feels like you know the GOP for a long time has been doing something similar. Um, and maybe it's, you know, part of a response to Trump and trying to recreate that phenomenon. But they want people who can make a scene, make a spectacle, quote unquote, pretend to shake up the system when really what they're looking for are pawns. But as we're seeing with Herschel Walker, he's not even a good pawn no. because he's not disciplined. And he's going, yeah. and also, mind you, 
Reverend Raphael Warnock, Mm -hmm. is one of the most disciplined messengers I've ever seen. You cannot get that man to step up. Like, he is, I mean, he seems like a good guy. He's truly done the work. I mean, he knows how to really connect with people. I love his ideas. But beyond all of that, he ain't going to make a mess. He's not going to make a fool of himself. He's not going to. And so I was like, why would you pick Herschel Walker to go against that person? What? Because he's black. Because he's black. That's why they picked him. Because he's well, black. I will say, watching this whole saga unfold, it confirms for me that Democrats, if they want to win this November, they should be talking about abortion access every single day. Yes. That should be the issue, the only issue. Get out there, say it loud. It feels like after Roe fell, there was a good two or three weeks of like moral outrage over that. And then the left or the folks at the top of the left moved on. That's foolish. That is still the most salient issue for the left right now. We saw voters who identify as fathers move some 28 points from Republicans to Democrats in the Mm. weeks after Roe. It's a big deal. Democrats would be foolish to ignore it. And in honor of the Georgia elections, I will quote my fellow Southerners, tell the truth, shame the devil. And that's all we should be doing this election cycle. Just tell the truth about these people. What don't come out in the wash comes out in the rinse. (laughs) 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 I always thought that was really good. Woo! All right, we are going to wrap this segment, take another quick break, but do not go anywhere. We'll be right back with recommendations. We are back. And before we end the show, first of all, um, what a week. <laughs> what an episode. What a couple. I think, I think, frankly, you know, not to get high on our own supply, but girl, what an episode. This was our <laughs> most chaotic Woo. taping, I think, so far. And I love it. Sometimes it was a good you just chaotic have to energy. Thank the gods of the news cycle and just say thank <laughs> you for bestowing this on a Monday night so we can record it. But of course, we also like to share something that's helping each of us keep our vibe, right? There's a lot of chaos out there. A lot of so chaos. So, what's making y'all feel good? What's helping you kind of manage it? Uh, Zach, how about you? I must say, AMC is back to being that girl, mm. AMC, the TV network, because they have released their reboot or reimagining of Interview with a Vampire, which, of course, was an Anne Rice book that turned into a very big movie that was very gay, but wasn't explicitly gay with Tom Cruise and Brad Pitt in the 90s. I would argue, like, a major gay box office hit that was a rom-com secretly, you know, Interview with a Vampire. They have made it to a television show, and they said, screw subtext, we're going full text, and this is a show about an interracial vampire couple living in New Orleans, et cetera, et cetera. And it is so good, and it goes back and forth between, you know, I think it's early 1900s New Orleans and modern-day Dubai, And they're coming out of the pandemic and the vampire, the protagonist, is wanting to tell his story to a journalist and write a book because so many people have died in the pandemic and he wants to reflect on vampires and death. It is beautiful and it is gay. It is campy. It is everything you need. If bros didn't make you fool, this will fill you up. I promise you. I've consistently heard enthusiastic, like exclamation points enthusiastic from really smart critics. And I loved, I read like Queen of the Damned. So good. Oh, I love- A movie with Aaliyah. The Queen of the Damned movie. Yes. But you know what? I was such an Anne Rice stan as a kid. I I loved it. I loved it. And it was Aaliyah, our goddess. I just really... Anne Rice. I mean, Anne Rice, I think, is long under... And, you know, we can talk about the gothic horror genre. It's always been very queer. And I think she just found a way to make it glamorous and cool. Mm -hmm. And, you know, like, they're outsiders, but you want to be outside with them. So I was like, okay, okay, I'm going to seek it out. The first two episodes are out this week. It's so good. Just watch it. Okay. Okay. 
All right. Sam, what about you? I want to recommend a podcast episode, a Slate podcast called ICYMI, which stands for In Case You Missed It. They had (laughs) an episode recently all about Serial, the hit podcast, the case against Adnan Syed, and how he got out of prison, I want to say a week or two ago now. And this episode, which is called Serial Didn't Free Adnan Syed, is perhaps the best take on the world that Serial created so many years mm. ago. And it's got Rebecca Lavoie, Daisy Rosario, and Rochelle, their host, making some really, really good points. You know, we think of Serial as this hit that made podcasting podcasting. In many ways, it's problematic. And no episode of any other podcast has gotten to the heart of that better than this episode of ICYMI. Go check it out. One of the voices in the chat, she makes the point that like Serial was basically gentrification for true crime. Mm. It took this genre that was always seen as tacky and lowbrow and made it respectable enough Mm -hmm. for bougie white people. And there was some good in that, but there was also some bad. Yeah. And now we see people making funny memes about Jeffrey Dahmer. There you go. But this episode, better than no other discussion of all this stuff and this moment of peak true crime, it gets at that. It makes some points. Please go check it out. It's really good. Oh my God. Calling that gentrification, I'm going to be eating on that for a while. That's Rebecca did the work. I'm telling you, she has her own podcast called Crime Writers On. That's also really good. But that episode of ICYMI is worth it. Okay. that's Because I I personally have always found the true crime obsession pretty disturbing. It's exploitative. Yeah, it's difficult. for, And I'm like, we're turning, you know, something that was like the worst night of someone's life uh, into, you know, but okay. Interesting. Okay. Yeah. Saeed, what are you thinking? What about you, sir? Yeah, girl. Well, while we continue to wait for Beyonce's visuals, I'm pleased to report that my second favorite black singer is back. That's right. <laughs> Haley Williams of Paramore. <laughs> my African-American queen. Oh, my God. <laughs> my good sis. <laughs> I am so excited that Paramore is back. I saw that they've been performing Misery Business a while. They were like, okay, Olivia Rodrigo, you want to you want some Misery <laughs> you, Business? You want to come for us? Yeah. But also, they, they released a new single. It's called This Is Why. Here are the lyrics for now. It's just so good. I was like, Paramore, you better speak to the moment. You better speak to the African-American experience in 2022. It's Not wild out here. We got Christian Walkers and Billy Eichner's on the street yelling at us. This is why I don't leave the house. Saeed is trying Saeed to give Paramore an NAACP image awards. Well, they should, they should get one. Black people love Paramore, and I Absolutely. do not understand why. We do. We love Paramore. And I will sing. say, Haley Williams sing. replied to one of my tweets once, and to this day, I smile every time I think about it. <laughs> She, I love. She's from Tennessee, like me. She grew know up. Know her? Yeah, she's amazing. Like uh, she really, and black people just really love Paramore. Period. Well, here's the thing about rock: black people will deal with the rock band if the vocalist can sing, and she can, sing. and she can sing, yeah. mm-hmm. she can fucking sing. I, I still her. think um, After Laughter uh, came out in 2016. I think it's still one of my yeah. favorite albums, probably of the last 10 years. So good. In so the same good. regard, Ooh. I feel like black people also fuck with Fall Out Boy because that lead singer could sing. He Indeed. can belt. Indeed. He can. We're there for the talent. I'm seeing mm-hmm. Panic of the Disco in two weeks, mm. which is a it's similar too genre. Of too much like, bisexual well, lighting. <laughs> it's just, it's so. That's, that is big. Panic is big bisexual lighting. <laughs> <laughs> it is. 
<laughs> Love them. Oh my God. It is funny because Jake Wesley Rogers is opening for them, who is like the next Elton John, who's openly queer singer, also okay. lived, from, uh, lived in Nashville. And um, yeah, calling them bisexual lighting. I love that. They're I mean, bisexual lighting. That is funny. Bisexual lighting, lighting was a band. Oh yes. <laughs> That's our recommendations <laughs> for the week. And honestly, these recommendations were as chaotic as the week. So <laughs> it worked. But what are you feeling or not feeling this week? What's your vibe? Check in with us at vibecheck at stitcher.com. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of Vibe Check. If you love the show and want to support us, please make sure to follow the show on your favorite podcast listening platform. A huge thanks to our producer, Chantel Holder, the longest suffering, most amazing we producer in this because she puts up with so much. Woo. Woo. Bless you. <laughs> thanks to our engineer, Brendan Burns. Thanks to Marcus Holm for our theme music and sound design. Special thanks to our executive producers, Nora Ritchie at Stitcher and Brandon Sharp from Agenda Management and Production. And last but not least, thank you to Jared O'Connell and Imelda Skinder for all their help. And listeners, don't forget, we want to hear from you. You can email us at vibecheck at stitcher.com and keep in touch with us on Twitter at, at Zach Stafford, at The Ferocity, and at Sam Sanders. Use the hashtag vibecheckpod. Also, follow us on TikTok at vibecheckpod, which I'm now getting texts from people with our clips, which is really disorienting Wild. for me. Anyway, stay tuned for another episode next Wednesday. Bye. Bye. Hey, Vibe Check listeners. Check out Zach Stafford in the latest episode of Stars and Stars with Issa, where I read his birth chart. Because I'm such a dreamer. Like, I love what you said about a lot of revolutionaries that I love and know. They all are in Pisces, and they're all able to, like, build new worlds around them. And I find so much joy out of building new worlds and new ways of thinking. You can follow us anywhere you get your podcasts and also online at Stars and Stars with Isa on Instagram and TikTok.